Okay, so, Sarah, if you had asked me at the end of last year, at the end of 2021, how long it had been since we published our book, I would have told you mm, about five years, give or take three years, because it had felt like we had been thrown into this whirlwind of activity and PR and interviews and all of the things, right, around the book. And in reality, that book came out in October of that same year. So I would have been off by ooh, a gigantic amount. But so, you know, it seems impossible that just now marks the one year anniversary of the publication of that book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism. <laughs> I love so you all are cheering years. as you're listening to, right? <laughs> yeah. In honor of this one year mark, we thought we would sit down with each other to talk all things book based on the questions we've gotten from so many of you over the last year. You know, the good, the bad, the really tough, the things we'd like to forget. Basically, your behind the scenes look into our year with this book out in the world and as a thank you for your support, keep listening for the chance to have us do a special virtual drop-in with your book club or your small group of people, whatever you like. So let's get talking. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We are your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. Okay, so I want to take us all the way back first. And I want to ask you, Sarah, what was your favorite? What's coming? <laughs> or <laughs> least favorite part of the writing process, including editing. And so our writing process was really condensed first, let me say. So it happened really fast between, you know, the election and the insurrection on January 6th. So given that, and then we had longer to edit. What was your favorite or least favorite or both? So you already know the answer to the least favorite part, probably, but my, so it was really interesting writing a book in a short condensed period of time, because I felt like, you know, the fact that we were doing this while we were homeschooling our kids, right. We're like during the virtual learning debacle that was, you know, the pandemic shut down, the fact that it was condensed, but the fact that it was also in 2020 made me feel really good because it was like, we have something to show for this cluster of a freaking year, right? Like we wrote that book in three months effectively and then, and did stuff. So it felt really good to do it. I learned a ton as we were researching and putting this together. I felt much more grounded in our work, having spent the time to really dig in. So I loved all of that. It turns out I really hate editing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember literally being a child being like, I don't want to do this. And like whining as I sat down, like stomping my feet underneath the table. So I was also very impressed with my immaturity levels uh, around that, <laughs> I would say. What about you? You know, I agree with you on the favorite part in that that year was so tough, right? On a whole host of levels. And I think to have something come out of that year that I personally feel very proud of, but also I feel like is something that is so necessary for us to do as part of our work was really, really important. And, um, and I'm going to interrupt you and ask you, because this is something we talk about on our, a lot of our work. We'll talk about like the work that we're doing in speaking after, but a lot of people ask us why we wrote that book. And I'm not sure that everyone on this show knows the answer that we share. So Misasha, like it was a cluster. It was 2020. And we're like, we have this opportunity to write the book. And I did have a moment where I was like, why are we doing this now exactly? Yeah. I had a feeling you were going to ask me this. Oh. <laughs> I think everyone deserves to hear it because it's really true and amazing. Yeah. Because I remember where I was. I was driving 
in one of the rare moments that I was probably leaving my house in this time period. And I remember you asked me that question. And, you know, as I'm driving and I'm trying to do something else, probably at the same time, the only thing I could say- Not texting while driving. No, no, not. not. I was not texting because I was on the phone with you too. So unless I am way better at tech than I know I am, that would have been impossible. But, you know, doing those things, right? I realized, or I just said the first thing that came to my mind, right? Which is my truth and is my truth to this day. And it was, I'm trying to save my kids' lives because I think- after George Floyd was murdered, and it wasn't just George Floyd, right? It was Breonna Taylor, it was Ahmaud Arbery. It was just a year in which you saw all of what a lot of Americans, I think, had hoped was not the case, right? And I'm saying white Americans specifically had hoped maybe it was not the case in this country, that we are grounded in systemic racism. We have been built on systemic racism, and it's not going away there. People are treated differently based on the color of their skin. That was so viscerally real that, yeah, that was my truth. That is my truth to this day, because as we talk about, you know, and I've said in interviews or in conversations that we've had outside of this podcast, Sarah, like, I don't feel any better about my boys, you know, safety in 2022 than I did in 2020. Right. And so it's just a reminder of why we need to do this work, why we all need to be in these conversations. And for those who don't know why you're saying this about your boys, say this is their first episode hearing us. What do your boys like explain that part? Yeah. So my boys are black, Japanese and white, but, you know, present to the world as black. And so it's very one of my biggest fears is that they walk out of our house and not come back. Right. Simply based on the color of their skin. And I think there's a lot of empirical evidence that suggests that that is not outside of the realm of possibility. Right. In fact, that is a very real possibility, regardless of where we live, because I have heard people say why is she so concerned about this? Because she lives in, you know, a suburban community that is fairly, you know, privileged in all forms. And my answer to that is my kids are still black in this community. And being black sort of trumps all of that. When you see them on the street, you don't think like, hey, they probably live in a nice house, are getting a good education, are really great kids. You see them and you think black boys or later black men. And I think that is what is so hard for people to understand. And that is why I think we are both so invested in this work. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I think, you know, if you're listening, you understand now a little bit more about why this work is still so deeply personal to us. We've been best friends for over 25 years now, and we've had lots of conversations over those 25 years, ranging from my terrible fashion sense all the way to like, you know, I feel like we just had a conversation about that yesterday, actually, or two days ago. Yeah, Uh, we sure did Uh, pin that conversation. But I hope you all hear that because this is not work that is easy. It is sometimes work that a lot of people have feelings about people who look like us doing this work. But I think we continue to believe that we need all of us engaged in this conversation, because as you say all the time, when your boys leave your home, you can only keep them safe in your home when they leave your home, they're in everyone else's hands. They are in every single one of our hands, all the kids of this next generation. And so we have to be all dismantling these systems, doing our part to look within ourselves and looking outside and looking out for each other. So again, thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about some of the other places that we talked about. So we folks did like at least 20 media interviews on some major stuff around the country and tons of podcasts and conversations and organizations. But let's take us back to book launch day, October 12th, 2021. And that very first TV interview with 
the amazing Micaela Pereira. How did you feel? Yes. Oh my gosh. I was so nervous, so nervous. Like, and it was, you know, it's over Zoom, right? And so I'm like trying to set up my camera angle. I'm like testing my Zoom. Like, you know, you open Zoom and I'm staring at just myself and my screen because I'm trying to make sure the screen is exactly right. Yeah, I was so nervous. Like, I was like, the words are not going to come out. What is she going to ask? Because the thing about these interviews is that we don't know what questions are going to be asked, right? And I think some people think we go in with pre-scripted questions, and which would be awesome, but that is not the way it is. And especially when it's the two of us, right? We have to figure out if they don't say, hey, Sarah, what is your thought about this? Then it's got to be like, you know, who answers? And there's this whole back and forth, which I totally didn't know at the time. I, But I was, oh my gosh, so nervous. And it couldn't have been a better first interview experience, I think, because it was just such a real conversation. And I was still nervous throughout the entire thing. But it just, wow, it was such a great way to kick off that morning. Because I just, yeah, I can feel that as I'm telling you the story or talking to you about that. What about you? Well, same total. Like, do you all have like that nervous sweat? Cause I get nervous sweat in the armpits and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, thank gosh. I was wearing like a shirt and like, you could only see the torso in the zoom screen. Cause I was like, I'm not raising my hands right now. Best part of zoom. Right. <laughs> and it was on good day LA, which is like one of the top morning shows in Los Angeles, which I did not realize what a incredible kickoff that was for us to have access to that platform. But having a person who wholeheartedly embraced us, who asked really engaged, meaningful questions, it made the whole thing flow. And it was such a relief and like a victory lap. I think we called each other right after it was done and we're like, woohoo, the book is really out. It's official. So that was really, really cool. Oh my gosh. So that was our first interview, very first interview. But as you mentioned, we've had so many conversations about the book, whether it's been through, you know, TV or media interviews, whether it's been through book club conversations with bookstores and library associations, whether it's been in corporations or in schools. But I'm sure for you, as for me, there are certain conversations that stand out, right? So I want to ask you a couple of questions, right? What was your favorite conversation? If you had to pick like one, which I know is very, very hard. Every single one once it was done. I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It is interesting that it got easier over time. Like I started to get into the flow. I gained confidence that we actually know what we're talking about. So we're able to answer those questions on the fly. So I don't know. What's your favorite one? Because we already talked about the first ever, Michaela, And then we came back to talk to her in API, like in May of 2022. Like, I think that was also really cool. She was just, I really appreciated her. So love her. Yes. You know, of the news ones, I think that was my favorite, you know, those two together. I would say, though, that there are a couple of times when we were talking to groups, though, that I just, you know, there's something about group energy and groups that are really open to real discussion, right? And being sort of vulnerable and because um, we get, I think, very open in these conversations and to have questions that come back at us. And I'm trying to think of like, I remember when we had that conversation with the University of Washington and we had a great sort of book club conversation with Grace facilitating. And yeah, I think that there, those are the ones that I really, really enjoy. 
Those were really good, actually. Yeah, because we did a couple like the Miracosta College system where there was like over 100 people at like constantly. We had to we didn't get to the all the questions and wound up like downloading the chat and getting that. So, yeah, those were pretty good. All right. So flip side, what was your least favorite or because it's hard sometimes to say least favorite, least favorite or the one that made you the most nervous? So I got COVID. My whole family went down with COVID in January slash February of 2022. And so I actually don't even remember the content of the conversation because I went from like sleeping in the guest room to wearing like the N95 over my face as I set up the lighting in my office or whatever and like put on a decent like shirt and a necklace and like got rid of the the nose marks of the mask, talked on national TV or whatever it was like TV. And then like survived, coughed and got right back into bed because I, I did it during COVID. So I feel like that was, I felt like a tough person that I was like, yeah, we did this during COVID and we did it. Like I can do this. The other least favorite conversation, there was actually one that stands out. And unsurprisingly, it was one of the few that we had with a white man. And he compared your name to his dog name. And I was so unimpressed with his level of disinterest in the conversation and his level of like, I'm above this conversation is not relevant to me. Like that vibe that we got, that was very off-putting, to be honest. Like I didn't enjoy that one in particular. Yeah, I remember that because I feel like people react to my name or people with unique names in certain ways, right? One is to just ignore that they have a name at all, right? Other times... And I think it comes out of nervousness at times, a lot of times, or just awkwardness, right? You make comments about someone's name and in ways that you shouldn't be commenting about someone's name. And so when he was like, I used to have a dog named Sasha or whatever, it was my favorite dog. That, yeah. It was like a big, uh, you know how you always say you control your face because you have like the lawyer face. I have a very expressive personality here, folks. I had to work so hard to control the muscles in my face. <laughs> yeah. Because we are on live TV. Yes. <laughs> so there was that. How about you? On any of these, nervous, least favorite, most favorite, joy? Well, you put this in your notes, but I 100% remember we, it was like three minutes before we were supposed to do an interview. And this is someone that our amazing PR woman had set up for us. And we were been going from interview to interview and on that day. And so we we're like, who is this person? And then we Google him. And in the three minutes before we're supposed to go and we're like, wow, he is a very conservative radio host. And so <laughs> we we're just like, we weren't prepared to go into a, like a conversation like this, right? With no prep. So I just remember the text chain <laughs> when we're like, just anything you know about him. So, you know, I was really proud of us that we went in and did that because, and I don't think it went sideways like we thought it was going to go, which taught me something about my own assumptions, right, as well. But that made me really nervous because I feel like I have to be in a certain mindset, right, to really engage on different levels, right? And I wasn't sure I was in that mindset. So it's like, this could be a complete train wreck for everyone. So yeah. If you're looking to get started podcasting, check out Libsyn.com and use the promo code DWWPOD to get up to two months of free podcasting service. Libsyn offers incredible customer service and support, real-time podcast analytics to see how your show's doing, an embeddable podcast player, and all the free podcast guides and tutorials you'll need to get started podcasting today. Go to libsyn.com 
com and use promo code DWWPOD. Well, and what I want to expand on what you just said, I think if people are listening and they are white or they, you know, don't have a personal connection to these conversations about race and racism where someone they like really deeply love is affected first person with this, you know, for someone like me, I mean, I love your husband. I have a lot of respect for him, but I don't live with him. I don't have my kids like who are black in this country. So I can talk to it and detach to some degree and have an intellectualized conversation about it, but I'm sure, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I like, so tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when you are faced with people who might potentially attack the things that we're talking about that are very true to you and your family and your life experiences, it's personal and it takes a whole different level of energy and it processes probably differently. And so for you to be able to go into that conversation, potentially face like daggers to the heart because you don't know how people react, I think is a very different experience. Thank you for pointing that out because I think it's true, right? And even in scenarios in my life, right? Personal life, when I'm going to places where I feel like this could be like where I'm not sure about my family's safety, I have to mentally prepare in ways like, okay, how am I going to get in someone's face basically if they come after my kids? And that requires a certain level of mental prep that I feel like I need to do though. So I'm not caught off guard in situations um, because I don't look like them, right? So they how people perceive me is very different than how they perceive them. And I know that there are certain things that I'm going to be able to say and do that they are not going to be able to say and do, but that requires a lot of prep. So you're right, like going into those situations where I feel like this could be a very personal attack on me and my family and and a lot of, you know, people that I love that are very close to me. It does require like a level of mental prep. Otherwise, I feel like I'm going to go in and it will be all emotional. Right. And that is not also going to be productive, if that makes sense. Like we're not going to be able to have a dialogue because it will just default to emotional and then off the rails sort of. Yeah, totally. So speaking of potentially going off the rails, what is I literally don't think you've ever said anything cringeworthy in an interview. (laughs) And I love almost all of the genius that flows out of your face. And so favorite thing you said in an interview, worst thing you said in an interview? I don't know. Interviews are really weird because I feel like I have this out-of-body experience, right? <laughs> yes, totally. I understand. Yeah, so I feel like my mouth is moving, right? I'm saying words, but I have no idea what I'm saying. Like, and only after I hate listening to our interviews after we give them, like, <laughs> I think you're way better about it because you'll ask me questions or you'll say like, oh, something, something. And I'm like, I never heard it. We'll never hear it. So I couldn't tell you because I honestly totally detach and then sort of come back into my body when I'm saying thank you so much for having us. <laughs> so, <laughs> you all, we have a whole media tab on our website, folks. It's like dearwhitewomen.com backslash. I don't know what the tag is, but it's, it says immediate page. But you'll have to listen to some of those because, Misasha, honestly, the way that you are so smart and quickly process how to have like this arching, you guys should see my hands. I'm like making this arc with my hands, like a very thoughtful picture of a response. And I think that also shows our personalities, right? I'm always like, I'll tell you the first thing. Like I speak first and I'm like, oh, the first thing on my mind is whatever. And then it gives you that time to like form that arc. But it's brilliant because you 
can pull all of these nuggets of history, storytelling, and, you know, mic drop moments all together. So I love the way you are able to respond and show up to a lot of these events that we do. Oh, thank you, my friend. Well, I'm also appreciative because you do jump in first, which is great because sometimes I'm like, I have no idea what was just, at. like, I need a moment to think about it. So so I'm the sacrificial <laughs> lamb for our partnership is basically what. <laughs> no, I love you for doing that. But I'm going to ask you, because <laughs> I know... I know you want to tell this story, but what, if you can remember, because we just agreed that we have these out-of-body experiences, anything cringeworthy, favorite thing that you said? Dude. (laughs) I just said, dude. I haven't said dude. I used to say dude to you all the time when we were in college, folks, to the point where Misasha got me one of those gold-plated name necklaces that said dude that I had to wear for a while just because I remember that so well. Might have been an overused word. (laughs) And I'm not even from California. So can you set this? I don't actually remember the setting or what interview it was. I just remember the cringeworthy line. It was very early in the morning. I remember. Oh, and I'm not a morning person. Yes. So it was one of those 6 a.m. I feel like or 6.30 a.m. Pacific interviews. So it was early, right? So you're only an hour ahead. So I'm going to asterisk that, right? I just remember being standing at the standing desk and just hearing you say what you said and just being like, as Sarah mentioned, I freeze my face into like this mask of disbelief. Literally the world is blowing up around me and I'm just going to straight stare at you, stare you down. And I did that in that moment because I was like, I don't even know what just happened. Uh, I think it was in response to the question that we get a lot, which is like, well, your title of your platform, your book is your white women. And like, that can be a very contentious one. And to be fair, like, it's a great question. We are asked it all the time, but somehow the coffee had not kicked in that morning or something. And my response was, well, it's really more like a love letter to white women. <laughs> I love how you just did that with your voice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice I did that. And as like that came out of my mouth, my ears heard it. And I was like, what did I just say? And I think I like bumbled my way through further explaining it because I was talking about how the, our tone and, and a lot of our work, we really do use our lane, our platform, our, you know, white presenting and, and circles that we are in to welcome more people into the conversation. It's not an antagonistic platform that we have. It's a very heart-led, history-backed, fact-oriented platform that we have to explain to people why this is something that we all need to care about. Racism is something that we all need to care about. But yeah, a love letter to a white woman. I think that right after that one, we spoke and there was a lot of laughter because that was a shocking turn of phrase that came out. (laughs) That one's a little long for a name necklace, though, so I'll have to think of some other way to commemorate that for you. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, thank you for sharing that, because I um, I know you feel it was cringeworthy, but it's just one of those moments that I'm glad we had together on this whole book interview tour that we had, um, which is... <laughs> Bonus points if anybody finds that media clip, because I don't know what it was in. I've completely blanked it out. But if you all find it and send it to us, I don't know. We'll figure something out because you get bonus points, man. That was truly amazing. So now that we're here, right, we are a year out from having published this book and we have gone speaking in schools, in companies, on media, on TV, on podcasts, on radio. We were on Sirius XM. Like we've done a lot of stuff to continue to share this baseline level of knowledge that we think, you know, a lot of people were not taught this in school. So you may not know it, but now that you know you don't know it, we make it really easy to learn it through our, you know, all the stuff we do. 
what do you want to do with the book next? Yeah, great question. Well, and you know, something that I talk about or we talk about when we're in groups is that we wrote this book in 2020, but as you know, this book has been published and now a year later, what we write about in this book is still happening, right? I think we see examples of it every day. And so someone used the term evergreen in reference to this book, and I I hate that for this book, but I also think it's very real, right? And I the feedback that I've heard is just that this is a book that's really approachable, right? And if we are, as we state, trying to get everyone in this conversation and to, you know, even as recently as last month, I had someone, a white man, say like, oh, thank you for doing this work, right? Like, but it, it was very clear that this work was supposed to be done by Sarah, you and me, and not him. And so I think we need to, I would love to continue talking about this book in as many places as possible to get this book into as many hands of people as possible so that we can continue to reinforce that this is something that affects all of us. This is something that we all need to be talking about. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable, you know, but we have to get through this discomfort to create that world that we want to see, right? That world that is the future. Because right now, I think we live in a lot of like, oh, guilt and shame and the past, which is really important to understand, but we have to be able to visualize the future together. And so I think that's what I want to take this book towards. Love it. Yes. Ditto. Thank you for expressing that so well. I don't need to take anybody's airtime by saying the same thing again, but I really think this work is not done. And if you want to help partner with us to bring this into your communities, into your businesses, into your school, um, you know, we're here for all of it. We regularly get messages that say they're using our podcast and our book in different curriculum. Like we're here and we are humans and we really would like, you know, all of your help in bringing this to your communities. So let us know. And Sarah, as you mentioned at the start, if you've made it this far, as promised, we are gifting one listener with a virtual book club drop-in or a virtual small group drop-in from the two of us, because we love that. We love talking to you where you can ask us anything, right? And we'd love to hear what topics from the book or what topics from your group resonate with you all. Yes. So if you want to be entered into our drawing or random drawing, please follow on Instagram um, at Dear White Women Podcast and send us a DM. Or shoot us an email at hello at dearwhitewomen.com and we'll pick a winner by November 1st. So you'll want to be on our newsletter and email list or following us on Instagram to hear if you've won. So please make sure you're doing that. And if you're listening to this after November 1st, don't hesitate to drop us a line anyway. We would love to hear from you. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. We could not do this without you all. You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list.